we have been working over the last, uh, I don't know, month or so as we've, as we've started to work through 2 Timothy. Uh, and part of what we're trying to do is we work through uh, the book of 2 Timothy. That's a book that, it's a letter that Paul writes uh, to his protege, his son in the faith, his spiritual son, Timothy, about um, how to live a life that matters, how to be missional in mindset, how to do something that will, and you notice from that, something that will cause him to outlive himself. And as we continue uh, in, in, that, in that letter, we're, we're getting to the second half of chapter two in that, and we're going to see today that one of the things that Paul encourages Timothy to do is to make sure that nothing false creeps its way into the church. And so I'm going to tell you up front that, that I, I <laughs> you, you know, this is something that I unequivocally, if we haven't met, I'm Matt, by the way, and I believe that this is the absolute inspired, inerrant word of God. Yes, written by men, lots of authors over centuries and centuries, but this is the unequivocal, absolute, inerrant word of God, inspired by the Holy Spirit. This is God-breathed. It is good for our benefit, our instruction, our correction. I and this church fall into the camp of saying that this, in its original writings at least, and what we have is so, 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 so similar. Uh, maybe there's a comma that got moved somewhere. Uh, that's why if I were Catholic, I would be really worried about the word celibate, right? Could be celebrate. Just saying. Uh, but anyway, that was terrible. Okay, some of you should be ashamed at yourself for chuckling at that. You should. Others of you should be ashamed at yourself for not. Anyway, here's the deal. This is the absolute inspired, inerrant word of God. When we move away from that, We are no longer a church that teaches the truth of God because the truth of God comes from this. And when we don't believe that this is what it is, we have then moved away from sound teaching and we start to dabble in a lot of things that might sound okay, but they go against what we understand is the truth. And we live in a time and a place in the world um, where truth gets a bad rap. Um, we live in a place where, in a time where truth has kind of become what we would say is relative. And to a degree, okay, now don't throw rocks at me, but to a degree, that's true. Some truth, it's not really truth, it's more of preference, but some of my truth can be relative. Do me a favor if you would. Raise your hand if you think that pizza should never have pineapple on it. Okay, hands down. Raise your hand if you think pineapple is, a, is an acceptable, almost beneficial topping to go on a pizza. Okay, some of you raise two hands. You are really passionate about this pineapple debate. Here's the deal. It is true that some of you like pineapple on your pizza and feel like that's awesome. It is true that some of you, especially that one crying back there, listen, brother, I get it. You feel like pineapple should be nowhere near pizza. And we can, out of tolerance, man, we can get half and half, right? I'll take extra pepperoni on my side. You do whatever you want with your side and everybody wins. I, you know, we actually order ham and pineapple in my house a lot because I love my children. It's the same reason I have a dog. I love my family, but I don't really love pineapple pizza. But here's the deal. That kind of truth we can agree to disagree on because it's true for you that you like pineapple. It's true for me that I don't think it belongs on a pizza and that's it. The problem is what's happened in our world, especially when it comes to this, is we have decided that this kind of truth is pineapple-esque. That what happens is this, 
now is something that we get to figure it's either true for you or it's not, but it doesn't have to be for me. Just like pineapple can be good for you, but it doesn't have to be for me. But that's not real truth. It's preference and feeling. Real truth does exist, right? You might tell me that, hey, I really think pineapple on pizza is awesome, and I will agree. Sure, you can think that. I disagree. It's okay. We can still be friends. We can shake hands and agree to disagree, and I can be tolerant of your feeling. You want to tell me that 2 plus 2 equals 5, I can still be tolerant, but be very clear about this. What I'm being tolerant of is your wrongness. I'm not being tolerant of your truth. I'm being tolerant of the fact that you really believe something that is wrong. And here's where the line is drawn. If my kids go to school and their teacher really believes that 2 plus 2 equals 5 and wants to teach them that truth, you better be sure that the principal and I will be having a conversation. Because tolerance has a line that should not be crossed. Because real truth is a real thing. And truth is found in the person of God. We're going to get back into 2 Timothy, but let's, let's learn some stuff about truth first. Truth is found, it finds its home in the person of God. Now, here's why that is, and here's how you can know it for sure. If it's true that God is the only pre-existent being, that God exists, existed in isolation, and God creates everything, that God creates everything out of nothing, so the world, the universe, matter, everything exists because God chose to create it. Then everything that is true comes from God. He is the author of truth. You want to know how things work? Well, God set them in motion. It's his truth. He put it together and set it out. And so we can trust him. And, and the Bible tells us that God is truth about all people of the Trinity. We read about God himself. Jesus says this, make them holy by your truth. Teach them your word, which is true. This is Jesus talking about his father in heaven. who says, God, you are truth. Your word is true. So teach them your truth. Talking to his disciples and his followers. And then he says about himself in John 14, 6, he says, I am the way, the truth. And the life. Nobody can come to the Father except through me. So Jesus says, God, the Father, you are truth. He says, I, the Son, am truth. And he says this about the Holy Spirit. I will send you the advocate talking about the Holy Spirit. And he says, the Holy Spirit is the Spirit of truth. So we can know real truth because God is true. And that's going to be foundational as we look at what Paul tells Timothy today. But there's more. There's more that you have to understand, and it's simply this. That not only can we know truth because God is true, that truth is always going to be hard because there's an enemy. And some of you wish I never talked about Satan, but he's in here. And you're like, man, that's weird. Yeah, sure, it's weird. Doesn't make it not true. Satan is real, and Satan is the enemy of your soul, and Satan is the father of everything untrue. It started in the garden when he told the first lie to Adam and Eve. And he assaulted God's character and said, God isn't honest. God doesn't want good for you. God wants to keep you from something that would make you so happy. You know what Satan is like in that moment? If you'll forgive the analogy, Satan is like a pimp. Right? You know, there's the homeless girl on the street, and Satan comes with a cheeseburger and says, Hey, I've got something good for you. Come over here and have a bite. I'll, I'll buy you a pizza. I'll give you a place to stay. I'll buy you new clothes. And then the next thing you know, that initial thought of something good turns into something terrible. And that's what Satan does. He's the father of lies. That's what Jesus calls him here. He says, For you are children of your father, the devil. He was a murderer from the beginning. He's always hated truth because there is no truth in him. And when he lies, it's consistent with his character because he is a liar and the father of lies. Jesus tells us this later in Matthew, that by the way, Satan, because he is the father of lies and because he is the prince of this age, that, that he will manipulate and he will raise up disciples of his own 
Jesus calls them false messiahs and false prophets, and they'll rise up and perform many great signs and wonders so as to deceive, if possible, even God's chosen ones. And so as we get into 2 Timothy today and we start talking about what is truth and we start talking about rejecting falsehood and we start to understand what this is all about, here's something I need you to understand. Just, it's foundational, okay? At its core, false doctrine is demonic. Now, this is where I waver today, where I start to get a little nervous, because I don't want you to misunderstand me. I am not suggesting that people or churches or individuals that teach something false have demonic intention. It's not what I'm saying. There are plenty of people that I know and respect I don't necessarily trust their teaching, but I know and respect them, and I respect their heart, and I respect, the, the, I respect what they're trying to accomplish when they teach things that are false, but what they don't understand and what I know and what we have to hold on to here is a church that believes that this is the absolute inerrant word of God. What we have to understand is that those people at their core are doing the bidding of the father of lies. That's why we have to call these things out where they exist. That's Paul's point to Timothy. That's what we're going to explore today. And so if you have your Bibles, you can open up 2 Timothy chapter 2. We're going to start in verse 14. We're going to work our way through verse 19. Okay, and we're going to look at what Paul instructs Timothy in terms of, of sniffing out false teaching. Because really that's what he's saying here. He's saying, hey, listen, you need to be a bloodhound at this. You need to find false teaching you need to call it what it is. Actually, there's a shift in this point in the letter. So here we say in the first half of 14, remind everyone about these things. Now, these things, okay, are, are what Paul has been writing in the first chapter and a half of this letter. He's been writing about the truth of the gospel and the nature of salvation and, and the fact that if you are going to be right with the God of the universe, you are going to do it through submission and obedience to the Lord Jesus Christ, not how you feel, not what rituals you go through, not your behavior. None of those things is going to make you right with God, but what makes you right with God is your submission and obedience to Jesus Christ. Your submission to Jesus Christ saying, okay, you know what? I know that I needed a savior. I am sinful. I am broken. I make mistakes all the time. You died on the cross to pay the penalty for my sin so that when I'm in submission to you and I say, yes, God, I needed a savior. And Jesus is the only one that accomplishes that feat. And I follow Jesus in obedience to then, it, it, to basically this idea of repentance, saying I was going this way, I recognized I needed a savior. Jesus is the one who pays the penalty for me. I stop going this way. I turn, and now I go this way instead. I follow Jesus in obedience. This is the nature of salvation. This is the nature of this life. This is what Paul has been reminding Timothy of. And now Paul says to Timothy, hey, hey, you, remind everybody about those things. And remind um, has this idea in, in the original language of um, this imperative that repeats. So basically what Paul is saying here to Timothy is remind them and then remind them again and then remind them again and you keep reminding them and you never let them forget it. This is the reason that we need to, by the way, this is the reason that we need to immerse ourselves in the church. This is the reason why you need to be in a small group or at least in a group of like-minded believers, whether you call it a small group or anything else. This is why you need to be with those people and you need to be present in the congregation and you need to be with the body because you are to be reminded and reminded and reminded and reminded and reminded about what true things are. It says, remind them about these things and command them in God's presence. Basically, what, what that equates to is taking an oath. Think about an oath, like if you were to testify. 
you would have to place your hand. I've never had to testify. That's a good thing, I suppose. But, you know, you put your hand on the Bible and, and, and you, you know, you're, I swear, I swear it. On Scripture, on the Bible here, he says, hey, they are to take an oath before God to make this solemn vow to stop fighting over words. And what, what, what the context here, fighting over words, is having debates on what truth is. So Paul is saying here very clearly to Timothy, look, 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 you've already told them the gospel. You've already told them what's true. Now, anybody that wants to be within the church, anybody that wants to be part of the church, anybody that wants to be included in this family, which would have been in Ephesus, anybody that wants to be an active member of the church in Ephesus, you have them take this solemn oath, solemn oath in God's presence that they will not fight over core doctrine, that they won't do it because such arguments are useless. We ask you to do that. When you become a covenant member, we're actually going to be adding covenant members next week. And when we get to add covenant members next week, one of the things that we'll ask them, it's, it's we ask them to make a commitment to follow scripture. And we as elders and, and as the body of the church make a commitment that we will follow scripture. And so we keep walking down this path where we continue. Okay. And so this is what this is about. He says, don't fight over words. Stop having these arguments because they're useless. And, and then he, he continues a little bit, and he says, they ruin those that hear. See, there are, um, there are some things that you need to understand, that when we start embracing or debating or within the church even entertaining false doctrine, there are five things that are going to happen. And, and Paul's going to lay them out for us very clearly, and the first one is this. It's going to ruin the faith of some It's going to ruin the faith of some. The word for ruin there, it's where we get our English word catastrophe. Okay, it is not where we get our English word for like ruined dinner. I cook on the grill sometimes. And we have a new grill. And on the new grill, I very rarely ruin dinner. Turns out I'm not as bad at grilling as I thought I was. It's just that we were using this like 12-year-old grill where the heat shields had like rusted and fallen off and where sometimes it would light and sometimes it wouldn't and it had one setting and that one setting was hot and there was nothing we could do about it and so sometimes we'd be like you know what let's do this let's make steaks on the grill always when the kids are gone I'm not giving the kids a ribeye I'm just not doing it those are mine I'll give them hamburgers that's fine Sorry, buddy. Um, so, but here's the thing. So we would put these on the grill and they would be ruined. I would ruin them, right? And it would be frustrating because this looked so good and you put it on there and it's seasoned and, and you put it on the grill and it sizzles and then you try to cut into it and it's like, no, it would be ruined. That's not what Paul's talking about here. This is the equivalent of not burning my steak, but, but burning down the home. I'm reminded, like, we were what? There was a year before we came here, a summer and a half before we moved here, and we had gone to Haiti for a mission trip. And it was a good trip. My mom went, my aunt and my uncle and uh, Riley went with us, and we went for, you know, a while, and we slept in a tent in Haiti in July, it was awful. There were a lot of bugs, and if you know me, there were a lot of frogs because we slept right next to the river. It was, it, it was a sacrifice unto the Lord. It was fine. But here's what happened, though. We got back, and, and uh, my, my dad and my brother and sister-in-law and some other people, they wanted to come over and hear about the trip. So after church one Sunday, everybody came to our house, and it was pouring down rain, but we had already bought the stuff to grill. And so my dad pushed the grill up as close to the house as he could, and put a big umbrella so that it was under the umbrella. And he put, you know, the, the 16 burgers on the grill. This is the same grill that doesn't have heat regulation. And these are the burgers you buy frozen at the store, which are like 35% fat. And he closes the lid and he goes back inside. He comes back out. The house is on fire. No joke. 
enough fat dripped down, flames erupted, caught the hard, or no, caught the plastic siding, the vinyl siding on fire, burnt through that, through the styrofoam, and was starting to burn the old hardboard siding uh, that was there before we came out. Travis, because he's a rock star, is like, I know where there's a fire extinguisher, because I got a cup of water. <laughs> and Travis is like, no, under the sink, there's a fire extinguisher. He grabs the fire extinguisher. We put the thing out. Listen to me. Those burgers were ruined. That's not what Paul's talking about. Paul's talking about catastrophe. Paul's talking about what it would look like if we hadn't caught the fire. And it had just continued. He says, that's what false teaching does. It doesn't burn your dinner, but it's a catastrophe. And it'll ruin those that hear. You know what that word catastrophe implies? That it will ruin the salvation of those that hear. When you've got false teaching about what it means to be right with the God of the universe, and you teach it to people who don't know any better, and they believe it, it is a catastrophe to them because it ruins their hope of an eternal relationship with the God of the universe. If someone comes into a church and they sincerely believe that this church represents the God of the universe, and isn't it great how false teachers always claim to speak for God? It's the way it always works. False teachers claim to speak for God. And they come in and they believe that this person speaks. They're the ones. Somebody that comes to church hasn't read this start to finish. Somebody that comes to church doesn't know exactly what this says. Somebody that comes to church knows they need God, but they don't know how to get God. That's why they show up and they want to know and they're desperate for it. And somebody stands up here and tells them, well, all you have to do is say these magic words. Or all you have to do is make sure you hit these rituals. Or all you have to do is make sure that you give enough money. Or whatever it is. And, and that kind of false teaching is demonic in its core. It's demonic in its core. Even if that person on the stage really believes it, it's demonic in its core because it ruins some. It's catastrophic for them. False teaching ruins some that hear it. We keep going. Okay, and he says, so work hard so you can present yourself to God and receive his approval. Be a good worker, one who does not need to be ashamed and who correctly explains the word of truth. And so the, the inverse there is that if you are not correctly explaining the word of truth, that you are heaping shame upon yourself. So listen to me, church. This is for you personally here. And you better know you better understand truth. Because if, you, if somebody asks you and you are telling them, well, here's, here's how you get right with God. Here's what it is. Here's how you move forward. What happens is, if you're wrong, you're ruining their faith and you're heaping shame upon yourself. And we all are desperate. As Christians... We are desperate to hear from our Father. Well done, good and faithful servant. That's what we're desperate to hear. If you're here today and you're a Christian, in your heart of hearts, uh, at the core of your being, in your soul, what you are desperate to hear at the end of your life, what you are desperate to hear from the God of the universe, your creator, sustainer, your maker, you are desperate to hear him look at you. You are desperate to, to have him put his, his hand on your shoulder to look in your face and to say, well done. I know it wasn't easy. I know it was hard. I know other people told you it was wrong, and I know other people made fun of you, and, and I know people walked away, and I know it hurts you, but here's the deal. Look at me. Well done. Good and faithful servant. Come in to the rest that I've provided for you. Well done. It's in Matthew 25, 21. That is what we are desperate to hear. But listen to me. If you are teaching things that are untrue, no matter how good your intention is, Instead of hearing, well done, you are heaping shame upon yourself. That's why I have a rule, and my rule is simply this. What I teach with confidence is what the Bible says with confidence. You will never hear me teach something to you as 100% truth that the Bible has not made 100% clear. If 
the Bible has not made it 100% clear, then I will tell you, guys, this is what I think. You've heard me say that to you before. This is what I think. There are good, smart Christians who think this. This is what I think is the best way to understand what the Bible tes- says. Because I'm not going to teach you as 100% true something that the Bible is not going to make 100% clear. But listen to me. If I say it to you with 100% clarity, and I say to you, this is the gospel truth. This is what God has shared with us. Then it is because I absolutely unequivocally understand this to be what it says. Which is also why I've said to you, I don't know how many times, don't take my word for it. Go check. Read scripture. Study the word. Find out for yourself if what I'm saying to you is true. Because listen to me. There are people that are heaping shame upon themselves because they teach things that are not true or they pass on things that are not true. And that is a dangerous game to play because instead of hearing, well done, good and faithful servant, this is what happens. These are Jesus' words in Mark 9. If you cause one of these little ones who trusts in me to fall into sin... It would be better for you to be thrown into the sea with a large millstone hung around your neck. So before before we start telling people what we think is okay and not okay, before we start deciding that we can figure out what the Bible means now in this culture, in this context, as opposed to what it meant originally, before we start figuring out that, you know what, maybe it's not just Jesus you have to believe in, but you can just be sincere. Yeah, you could just know about Jesus. You don't really have to follow him. Like, before we start throwing those things out there, maybe we ought to have a word of caution. Maybe I'm not being as helpful as I think I am. Maybe I'm ruining the faith of those that hear, and perhaps, just perhaps, I'm bringing shame on myself. Instead of hearing, well done, good and faithful servant, I hear Jesus' words, man, you better be careful. Because if you cause one of these little ones who trust in me to fall into sin, man, it would be better for you if they tied a big boulder around your neck and tossed you into the ocean. He would like to gloss over those things. But it's the word of God, and, and we have to take it seriously. We keep going. Here's another thing. Avoid worthless, foolish talk that only leads to more godless behavior. This kind of talk spreads like cancer. Listen, understand this about false teaching, right? False teaching not only um, ruins, but it spreads. It spreads like crazy. You get that, right? That false teaching will ruin, but because it's false, here's the thing. We don't make usually, sometimes we do, but most often, the reason that we have something false in the first place, the reason Satan is pushing something false is why? Because it makes it more palatable. It makes it simpler. It is very rare. It's not it, I, I shouldn't say it never happens, but it is very rare that you will go to a church or you will go somewhere or someone will sit you down and tell you false teaching that makes it harder for you to follow God. More often than not, what happens is there are people that are trying to make it easy for you to come to God. And so they give you something that's more palatable, that's less difficult, that mutes what God says in his word so that it'll draw people in. Well, and here's the problem with that. When it draws people in, here's what it does. It spreads like cancer. Why? Because it sounds great. When people are going to teach you, you know what? You can, you can have Jesus and have sex with whoever you want. You can have Jesus and, 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 you, can, and, and you can never go to church. You can have Jesus and you can hate those people. You can, go to, you, you can have Jesus and you can never, ever forgive. That's fine. He won't care. He doesn't mind. You know what? You can have Jesus and you can be a drunkard. When we do those kinds of things, what happens is it sounds palatable. It's better. We like it better because you know what? I want Jesus. And, you know, before I came, before I came to Christ, sex with whoever I wanted to have sex with seemed like an okay idea. And so what happens is I'm like, well, they say it's okay. I can have Jesus and I can have the life I want to live. Man, that spreads like wildfire. 
And it, it spreads like gangbusters. It's the best marketing plan ever. It's the best marketing plan ever to be able to give people the best of both worlds. That's why some of you like your Hawaiian pizza. I guess. But we want to give them the best of both worlds. Right? Some of you, that's why, here, here's a better analogy. That's why you eat broccoli, but you do it with cheddar cheese sauce on top. You're like, I'm having my vegetables smothered in cheddar cheese sauce. But here's the deal. It's no wonder that spreads. It's no wonder that's so attractive. Because what people are telling you, what we're saying when we do that is, yes, you can have whatever you want and still be a Christian. But man, if you're teaching that, that's dangerous because this isn't what this says. It's not what this says. And that is, I mean, there are Christian cults all over the place today. There are a lot of mainline Protestant denominations that have walked away from the inerrancy of Scripture. And once you walk away from the inerrancy of Scripture, once you start saying that this is able to be compromised, everything else follows. Here's an example that will rub some of you the wrong way. And, and I, I want to say before I share the example, I get that it'll rub some of you the wrong way. But I start with the truth that anything, anything that's not found its core, if it starts to sway from biblical truth, that at its core it's demonic. Okay, and so this, this is hard. But uh, the United Church of Christ. How many, first of all, who's familiar with Jen Hatmaker? Christian author, um, bloggist, speaker. Um, her husband, Brandon Hatmaker, pastor of a church. Um, one of Carrie's uh, very first most impactful small group accountability women's things was working through Jen Hatmaker's book, Seven. Uh, it was very impactful for her and beneficial in, in her spiritual walk. Um, Jen Hatmaker is somebody that I used to recommend wholeheartedly that now I cannot. And it starts with false teaching that spreads like cancer. And it starts with the United Church of Christ, the UCC denomination who for the longest time had held um, that the Bible was a good idea. Um, and their official stance was the Bible is true, but we're not going to tell individual congregations that they have to believe that. Which then spreads to, so we're not going to tell individual congregations that they have to follow biblical truth. Because in that specific congregation, they may decide that if I don't believe the Bible is anything more than a good idea, then we're not going to force them to believe it. We think they should. This was the denominational stance. We think they should, but we're not going to tell them they have to. Well, you know what? That's attractive. So people come to those congregations, and you know what? The next thing you know, in 2005, they're having um, a general synod, and we're 80%. 80% of the delegates at the General Synod decided to vote on things that for the longest time had been held true because Scripture says them, and now we say, yeah, we're not sure we like that anymore because we're not sure this is what you say it is. It's a good idea. There's a lot of good stuff in there, but we don't think that it has to be followed exactly. So in 2005, the first General Assembly to, to, um, to put their stamp of approval on um, as a whole— same-sex marriage, um, and um, homosexual clergy. And so that teaching runs rampant. Now, again, I'm not angry at folks that struggle with homosexuality. I'm not angry with them at all. But there's only one way I can read this. Okay, so if we've not had that conversation before and, you have a, uh, and you're concerned about what is he saying and where does it say this and that, let's talk about it. Let's have that conversation. Okay, but so this is what happens. In the UCC, it runs wild. It runs rampant, this teaching that, you know what, this is relative, it's a good idea, but we don't have to follow it exactly because it's not 2,000 years ago anymore, we can figure it out on our own. Culture tells us how to read this, not this tells us how to live in the culture. And there's a gal who uh, grew up and thrived in that congregation. Some of you may know her too. Her name is, is Glennon Doyle Melton, uh, self-proclaimed Christian author. Um, blogger. Um, her blog, Momistry, it is extremely popular, um, and I know was with some gals here at the church for a while, um, and she flirted with the idea of you could do what you want and be a Christian as long as you love well. And that included anything from 
um, whether you're in committed um, sexual relationships um, or if it's just consensual, um, whether it's committed or not, or you can have abortions if that fits your need because love happens first um, and, and we want to love you more than we want to tell you what to do. Uh, it, you name it. And, and to the point where about, um, I want to say three years ago, two years ago, somewhere, um, she decided because that teaching ruins the faith of some and then spreads like cancer, she decided that she would divorce her husband and marry a female soccer star. And he decided that he would happily take that divorce and marry some gentleman that, uh, that apparently he knew. And now they're in this cohabitating, all four of them love our kids kind of relationship. That teaching was allowed to spread because the church taught something false and teaching something false is demonic at core, even if it's not the intention and it ruins the faith of some and it spreads like cancer to the point where Glennon Doyle's partner in ministry, co-speaker, co-author, good friend, Jen Hatmaker, right at the time when Glennon Doyle was announcing her decision to get a divorce and pursue real love with, with her female companion, Jen Hatmaker, because it spreads like cancer, with her husband was publishing something called the Hatmaker Hermeneutic, which tells us, hey, for 2,000 years, you've been interpreting scripture wrong. And you don't have to do what it says, you have to do what it intends. And what it intends is not for you to live this kind of life. What it intends for you to do is love whoever you want to love. To the point where Lifeway, the IF gathering that we have here every year. She used to be a speaker at the IF gathering when it first started, and she was pulled from that. Lifeway took all of her books off the shelf. You could search for her on right now. You won't find her any longer because there are some people that recognize, look, false teaching spreads like cancer. We, we remove it. See, here's what I want you to understand. There's no part of me that thinks Jen Hatmaker is not a Christian woman. There's no part of me that thinks she's attempting to be subversive or difficult. There is very much, every fiber of me says, she is a woman who is sat under false teaching and she's been influenced by false teaching because instead of removing it, she played with it and it influenced her and it affected her and at its core, it's demonic because it's ruining the faith of some and it's taking away their good witness to the point now where I say, look, man, we are not studying Jen Hatmaker. We almost canceled our first if gathering here at the church because initially she was in the lineup. And so we had sold, I don't know how many tickets to that. People were excited. They had planned. We almost pulled the plug on that until they pulled the plug on her. And the reason for that is because we have to understand, this is what Paul is trying to convince Timothy, man, that false teaching ruins the faith of some and it spreads like cancer. So don't play with it. You can't entertain it. It's not good for you. And here's the deal. Again, we're not going so far as to say that this means that we're not going to have good, clear debates about biblical things. Some of my best friends do not agree with me on matters of theology. We will disagree about things. But what it does mean is that we are going to draw very clear lines about what is core doctrine. So think about this stage as core doctrine. So issues of salvation by grace through faith, that lives on the stage. If you want to talk to me about how you can get saved some other way than through the death and resurrection and the following of Jesus Christ, I'm going to say, yeah, no. That has no place in the church. We're not doing it. It's core doctrine. You want to talk to me about whether or not Christians should be able to drink. That's important. It's not on the stage. We can have discussion about whether or not you think it's good for Christians to drink. And I'll be happy to have a debate about that, a friendly debate. We're not going to fight about it, okay? Um, and it's going to be okay. And, and the reason for that is because I can read this 
And I can come away with this thinking, well, I, I, I think it would be wise to abstain from alcohol. I can also read this, and I read Paul saying to Timothy, man, drink some wine. It's good for your stomach. Okay? So this can be a fair, healthy conversation among two people who hold this up as the foundation for the discussion. Okay? You want to tell me, hey, I think we should baptize babies. I say, you know what? No, I, I think we baptize believers. Okay? We both, with this as our foundation, can enter into this conversation in this dialogue and this discussion. Okay? And I'm going to say from Scripture, here's why I think I'm correct. And you could say, well, here from Scripture, here's why I think I'm correct. And I'm going to say, you know what? It's okay. Right? We don't have to agree on this. You want to tell me that Jesus is not the Son of God. There is no way you're going to have this as your driving foundational piece of information. We're not going to enter into that discussion or debate. See, so I'm not advocating for spiritual bigotry where I decide that you should not dance and you should not have alcohol and you should not listen to rock and roll music and certainly you don't go to see movies. And if they're rated R and you see a movie, shame on you. Like, we're not having that conversation. I'm not saying you draw bigoted lines to say, well, I'm a better Christian than you are because I follow this strict set, this code. You know who else did that? The Pharisees did that, and Jesus mocked them for it. I'm not suggesting that this conversation about false teaching means that, that I demand everybody think the way I do. But let me ask you this question. How many of you know your core beliefs about the God of the universe? If somebody asked you, who is God? How many of you could articulate that? Somebody said, who is Jesus? How many of you can articulate that? What do we have to do to be saved? Can you articulate that? Because those are your core beliefs. What is the Bible? It's a core belief. Don't draw lines where they don't exist. But man, you got to know what you believe and you got to know what's core. Because you can't compromise it because it ruins everything. It always starts with Scripture. It always starts with undermining what Scripture is. And it always starts with changing the basic message of the gospel. That's why Paul is saying here, he says, hey, remind them, remind them, remind them of what we've taught. What we've taught is the gospel. What we've taught is God's word. What we've taught is this clarity in truth that comes from Jesus Christ. Everything else is falsehood. Don't even debate it. Don't have those conversations. Don't let it happen in the church. And again, this context, this is not written to people outside the church. This is not, Matt, don't talk to that guy down the street, your neighbor who's not a Christian, who thinks Jesus is just some guy. I can have that conversation. I should have that conversation. That guy is the mission. I'm supposed to share the gospel with him. What Paul is saying is inside the context of the church, don't let the teaching happen that says something contrary to Christianity. That's where, and we're going to talk about this next week a little bit, that's where church discipline happens. If you're here in the church and you want to start teaching something contrary to Scripture, we're going to deal with that. Your elders, that's the promise they made you. That's the covenant commitment they made you. They're going to deal with that. If you want to be here and you want to start teaching people, you know what? This is just an easy example. You know what? Sex outside of marriage is fine. As long as you really love them, it's fine. You're married in your heart. And what I'm going to say is, no. And if you believe that, then you and I can have a conversation about that. And I can gently correct you. And we're going to talk about this next week because Paul says you gently instruct those who, who struggle with this. But if you're going to start teaching it and you're going to start trying to convince other people that it's true, then what I'm going to do is I'm going to have to step in with discipline and say, absolutely not, not here. Because Paul says, don't let it in the house. Because it ruins the faith of some, it puts shame on those that teach it, shame on those that allow it, and it spreads like cancer. A couple more real quick. As in the case of Hymenaeus and Philetus, they have left the path of truth. By the way, I have no idea if that's how you say those names. If you're ever in a Bible study and you have to read names, and you're like, I don't know what that is, listen, here's the trick. Just do it with confidence because nobody else knows either. <laughs> Just do it with gusto. And they're going to be like, man, that guy is smart. That lady really knows what she's doing. Like, why she knows those words. Ah, but as is in the case with Hymenaeus and Philetus, like, there's not even an eye there. Like, how does he get Philetus? 
I don't know, and neither do you. As is the case with those two gentlemen, they left the path of truth claiming the resurrection of the dead has already occurred. See, this is perfect in the core um, doctrine. This is a great example. Okay, so, so what it means exactly, we can have dialogue. That's going to take forever. We can have that conversation another time. But here's what they were teaching. What they were teaching is that Jesus wasn't coming back. Because everything Jesus was going to do, he had already accomplished. And so this life that you're living, this is the glory of the Christian life. There is nothing else happening. That's false teaching. That ruins the faith of some. It was starting to spread like cancer. You know how I know it was starting to spread like cancer? Because in 1 Timothy, the first book, Paul writes about Hymenaeus. Now... In 2 Timothy, the second letter, he's writing about Hymenaeus and somebody else. Because this false teaching is spreading, and he says, like them, stop them, cut them off at the knees. They do not belong in the fellowship of the church if they are going to teach things that are contrary to the explicit word of God. And in doing so, here's what they've done. They've turned some people away from the faith. Remember how I said false teaching is demonic? It's demonic because it draws people away. Last one, but God's truth stands firm like a foundation stone with this inscription. The Lord knows who are his, and all who belong to the Lord must turn away from evil. Unfortunately, false teaching is a pretty clear indicator of who belongs to the Lord and who does not. What you teach to be truth about the God of the universe, what you teach to be true about Jesus Christ, and what you teach to be true about salvation. Those things right there. The God of the universe, who is he? Jesus Christ, who is he? How do you get saved and get right with the God of the universe? How do you experience new life? How do you have eternal life? How does that work? Those three things, those are a plumb line. You cannot consider yourself rightly to be a Christian, not in the orthodox sense, if you are not understanding those things. If you think that God is just one of many gods, I'm sorry, you can't be a Christian. You can't be a Christian and think that. If you think that Jesus Christ was not the son of God, fully God, fully man, if you don't think that Jesus Christ is the second part of the Trinity, then guess what? I'm sorry, I... I respect your right to believe what you believe, but I can't tell you that it's true. And that is a plumb line. If you can't believe in the person of Jesus Christ as the Bible shares him and his death and resurrection, then you can't be a Christian. And if you can't believe, if you can't believe that the only possible way that you are ever going to be right with the God of the universe is by his grace through your faith, then you can't be a Christian. If you're trusting in something else to save you, your good works, your rituals, your behavior, you can't be a Christian. If you don't believe that Jesus is the Son of God, you can't be a Christian. If you don't think that God is alone, sovereign, then it doesn't work. And those aren't my words, right? That's not Matt putting restrictions on. That's not Matt being harsh. That's what the Word of God tells us. And you don't have to agree with me We can agree to disagree, but I can't agree that what you're saying is true. I can tolerate your opinion. I can't tolerate saying, it doesn't mean I have to say that I agree that it could be true because the word of God is clear and the word of God is foundational. And so what Paul is really stressing here is that the gospel comes first and that you cannot rightly believe anything other than the gospel of Jesus Christ and still consider yourself to be Christian. It does not work. It's a dividing line, and it hurts, and I know it, but it's a dividing line. Why don't you pray with me? I'm going to ask the praise team to come back up. Ask the ushers to come forward. We're going to get ready to collect this morning's offering. Uh, As we do that, I just want to remind you of one thing, and then we're going to go into prayer. Something I should have reminded you about earlier, but I almost forgot. If you consider Blessed Hope to be your regular home, and we have your contact information, you received an email from us, 
probably in um, our weekly newsletter, you received a, a letter in the mail. And if you follow our Facebook page, you would have seen this on our Facebook page. So we've communicated in those three ways. And I'm going to tell you this now, that over the next two weeks, we're going to be taking a survey. Okay. Uh, just, it'll be on the back of your bulletin. And as you leave, you can just drop it off. Um, we're going to take it over the course of two weeks because it's summer and we miss some folks each week. And we know that we're gonna ask you to only take it once, uh, but it's going to ask you your opinion on some vision building things. So check your, your, your mail, uh, read your email or ask us. We'll talk more about that later, but I just want to remind you that's out there and that we'll be taking that survey. Here's the other thing. Okay. Um, that as we go from here, the gospel matters. All of this is because of the gospel. When Paul says, follow truth, fight for truth, reject falsehood. Falsehood is demonic at its core. It's demonic at its core because it spreads like cancer and it ruins faith. And it ruins the faith of those that teach it, the faith of those that hear it. Because ultimately what it does is it keeps people away from gospel truth, which saves them and ushers them into an eternal relationship with God. And that is all Satan has ever wanted to do is ruin you. It's all Satan has ever wanted to do is ruin you and everybody that you love. So reject falsehood. Embrace the gospel. This is what this is about. Heavenly Father, God, we love you. We praise you. And we thank you for gospel truth. We thank you for your word that we can trust. We thank you um, that in it you have made something so clear that we have no um, th th that we have no recourse but to say that is the word of God. One of those, Father, is what it takes to be right with you and what it takes to enter into an eternal relationship with you. And God, I pray that if there are people here that have been trusting something wrong or that have been um, persuaded by false teaching or whatever it is, that, that they would hear and now that you, with the power of your Holy Spirit, that you would speak to their hearts and that you would draw them close and you would help them to understand that there is one way and one way alone to be right with the God of the universe. And that is grace through faith in the person, in the death, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. God, we love you, and we praise you, and we thank you for your good work on the cross and everything that it means for us now. Amen.